Welcome to the Night Shift Podcast. Jeff Sharon here. We've got Andrew Glukoff to start out. Bryson Turner is also joining us from campus, not from his normal stomping grounds. He's in like the old RTV hallway where I've been many a times and Drew is not and he's bitter about it apparently. I don't know. But um, but yeah, we got a loaded show here all of a sudden. So sorry we're a little bit late getting this out. We actually had to record this in stages because we had a bunch of stuff go down um between you know tuesday the 11th and wednesday the 12th this first segment we're recording is on wednesday the 12th everything else was recorded uh yesterday but we just want to update you on a few big stories that have broken out we're going to talk baseball we're going to talk softball spring game is coming up on friday night we're going to be talking about that uh kyle's going to join me and drew about that and then also nick porcelli joining later on to update us on uh xfl usfl Bryson's going to be with us throughout the, you know, in segment three as well to update us on uh, tennis. But um, we have to start with some breaking news from Wednesday morning, and it has to do with rowing. Becky Kramer, the head coach of UCF Rowing, has resigned. She's been at uh, UCF since 2008, 2009. She spent two decades at UCF. Uh, as a member of the coaching staff, prior to that, she was an assistant. Uh, she reti- uh, she resigns having won five AAC championships, five straight from 2015 to 2019. Uh, a remarkable stretch of success. Uh, all Americans, uh, all uh, conference performers all over the place. Uh, but she resigns uh, rather quietly, Bryson Turner. I want you to kind of set the stage for um, what's you know, for what's been going on here. By the way, uh, taking over for her will be Montia Rice, uh, who was the interim, uh, who is officially, according to a release from UCF, listed as uh, a, an interim head coach. Um, and will now take over uh, full time. Although uh, head, uh, although athletic director Terry Mahajer said in the release on UCFnights.com that UCF will initiate a national search for our next head coach at the conclusion of spring competition. Bryson, um, give us the lay of the land here. What 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 uh, precipitated this? From what you can tell. So if we all can remember back on February 21st, friend of the show, Trace Trolko from Sons of UCF posted a tweet where he said that he said that he had reached out to a UCF athletics SID and he said that Becky Kramer was on a leave of absence. And I'm, and I'm, I'm quoting the tweet there and it's, it's on his Twitter. It's still there. So that means that Kramer has actually been away from the team since February, since way before the rowing season began this twenty this in this year in twenty twenty three. So Montia and and I actually attended the 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 first rowing meet, the senior day rowing meet, where uh, at Lake Pickett and Montia Rice was just serving as kind of the interim head coach already. So this head coaching thing has been going on for longer than this. So the way that I am seeing this right now is that it sounds like something has gone on behind the scenes that we do not know about, unfortunately. So who knows if we, if we will, considering now that Becky Kramer has quietly resigned, but now basically the, where that leaves us now is a rowing program that has now lost their head coach. And I remember 
uh, at the Oviedo Charge On Tour event, Becky Kramer was there, and she talked about how she was having so many athletes return, and but now those athletes are return are returned to a team without their head coach. And after this Big Ten invite where they didn't get a win, I mean, it, you you have to kind of beg the question of how this coaching change will affect the team, you know, throughout the throughout this season. So it'll be interesting to see how this final, you know, American year with rowing will be without the head coach that has been around for a very long time. But yeah. because they're, because with Terry initiating a national search, that does mean that a, a I would say a pretty high, high profile rowing job that is now moving to the Big 12 is now going to become open. So I think uh, that it will be very interesting to see who they will bring in for that. Yeah, the Big 12 is uh, pretty competitive in rowing, as we've known. Um, and uh, it, they've had they have a few affiliate members, interestingly enough, um, in Alabama and Tennessee, in addition to uh, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas, at the moment, at least, and West Virginia. So it's a little bit it's not like men's soccer where rowing competes in an entirely in an entirely different um conference but it is a it is a little bit of a mishmash a little bit more of a mishmash than usual uh so as of right now the information like i said ucf's been pretty quiet about this the information is pretty sketchy um i don't mean that in a bad man i mean like we just don't have much to go on but um you know the resignation of becky kramer is some pretty is some pretty significant news that we wanted to pass along to you early here on this uh, Wednesday, April twelfth, it's a it's a bummer to see uh, to see Becky hanging up. But you know she's done a lot of things for uh, a lot of athletes and has been a real trooper for UCF over the years and a great member of the UCF community. And uh, I don't you know, I don't know what's going to happen next for her, but um, you know we certainly appreciate you know all that she's done for us. She's come on our show many times, and uh, we're going to miss her. We're going to miss her a lot. So um, well, she's it. She says in the press release that she is stepping uh, that she that quote I am stepping away to spend more time with my family. So um so so that I'm certain that'll be nice for her to do that. And of course that now that leaves Todd Dagenet as uh, the only UCF uh, head coach that uh, from that specific era, unless uh, 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 um w alongside uh, Coach Gooch as well with the cheer squad. Yeah, longest tenured, right? I think uh, Coach uh, Linda Gooch and then Todd Dagenet. So all right, so as we hear more. We will bring it to you on this podcast and, of course, at blackandgoldbanneret.com if we hear anything more on the resignation of Becky Kramer from um, UCF Rowing. All right, let's get Drew in here because we got to talk about what's going on with uh, baseball here. So let's get, uh, first of all, update you. We're leading off with – we're er, leading off. Well, we're not really leading off with baseball. It's second. But uh, UCF got a win over Stetson last night, 7-1 to one in DeLand to get to 18-15 and 15 on the year. But it, uh, more or less – the situation for UCF baseball looks like this. That win stopped uh, the bleeding, at least temporarily, uh, in a moment, Bryson and, and Drew, where this team had lost 11 of their last 13 since the uh, since the Dartmouth sweep back uh, in uh, back on March 19th. Their only wins, they had one against Maryland. They had one against South Florida. They got swept by number 12 ECU in Greenville. Uh, prior to the Easter weekend, and Bryson has a recap on blackandgoldbanneret.com. The win against Stetson does stop the bleeding before a home series against Memphis starting this Friday, going Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, but that was at least only part of the news. And Bryson, I want to bring you in here on this one. Um, there's been, there have been some uh, stuff swirling around the UCF baseball program 
recently. And uh, and if you can just kind of update us on what's going on, we have some sound also from Greg Lovelady um, as well. But I want you to tell us like what's what's been going on because you've been following this um, pretty quickly and you wrote up some of it on your most recent recap. What's going on with UCF baseball right now? So the big thing with UCF baseball at the moment is that they is they are currently experiencing while they, the home run hitting has been particularly good through the course of this season, everything else has just not really been able to go with it. I want I want to harken back to the 2010 team, uh, you know, the days of Chris Duffy. Mm-hmm. Th- that during that season, th- that was the that was the single season team home run record with 78. By this point in the year, roughly. But what, at the time I wrote my recap, it was before the Stetson game, so it's a little—it's changed a little bit now. But basically, this uh, this team is very much outpacing the 2010 team in terms of home runs. But just like the 2010 team, the pitching ERA is not there. This is the highest ERA that UCF has had since the since tw- since 2010. So. So the fact that the pitching isn't holding, of course, also the defense. UCF almost thirty over thirty percent of UCF's games this season alone have been multi-error. That doesn't mean one error, multiple errors, two or more. Mm-hmm. In thirty percent of UCF's games this season, as of before the stats, as of before the Stetson game. So, of course, defense has been a general issue with Greg Lovelady throughout his career. And uh, of course you have true freshmen also on the team and you know, you can't expect them to be perfect, but those mistakes pile up. And, and, and so, and with UCF also just being so reliant that they've been with the long ball this whole, this entire year, be not being able to manufacture runs as well as they've normally been. If they can't hit home runs, then they're, then they're not exactly in very good straights at the time now obviously this recent stretch against miami and east carolina it you know the only the only softening to this i could really give to this is that they're both very highly ranked both of them so losing those four games to be honest is something that i didn't want but i would you wouldn't be surprised that they did so um, they did have a chance to beat ECU on Sunday, but that one went into extra innings and a rain delay. And the, it was that one was just a, a, that one was definitely one that got away a little bit there. But it is what it is. You get Stetson, you, the, the bleeding is at least for the moment halted. I mean, Stetson is ranked number 193 in RPI. So it's something you kind of had to win, but it's definitely not like. The Band-Aid isn't, let's put it this way, it's bleeding through. It's a Band-Aid, but the, but the blood is bleeding through, if you want to give, give my little thing. So I think this, 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 this new, this weekend against Memphis, you want to be able to continue that, moment, that, that momentum forward in order to really show that you have turned around from the, that skid that, we have been on, that we've been on recently. Uh, co-existent to that, is uh, some news that uh, once again we got to give some credit to Trace Troco here uh, because he uh, has been in following this story. There have been some uh, accusations that have come down about some funny business having to do with bats, and maybe that had a little something to do with uh, with the with a, a little bit of a power outage of late for UCF baseball. Um, now, again, information is pretty sketchy, but uh, Trace uh, 
came out with some information um, that said that there was an internal investigation going on. Now, you will recall last year in the series against Memphis, there's it has, it, but from what we understand, it has to do with the bat certification process prior to games. You'll recall last year in the Memphis game, remember that Bryson and Drew, there was that controversy about, uh, 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 I think it was, I think it had to do with pine tar on bats. I believe you're um, correct. Yeah. And, and, and whether or not a bat was, was properly certified, uh, that resulted in an ejection in one game. Um, it was pretty, uh, and, and it, it, we actually did a, a breakdown of this whole thing. Um, last year, uh, last year, I actually did a, a video breakdown, but, um, uh, according to Trace on his uh, right. Twitter account, SignPez for Seinfeld and Pez, because that's what Trace likes. Uh, internal, this is from Trace Strelko. Internal investigation. UCF baseball head coach Greg Lovelady comments on a former player's allegations that earlier this season, the Knights used bats that had been altered. And uh, I have a clip of uh, Greg Lovelady. Again, this is from Trace. Let's go ahead and hear from Greg. Yeah, I mean, we just, you know, the, the, again, there's some things that you can't control and some things that you can't control. So, you know, we just handled everything internally and things that we feel like we need to do better at um, and, and some things that, you know, you just have no control over what other people say, whether they be true or not true. Um, and the things that uh, you feel like you need to, to address internally, then we address them and, and make sure that um, those things don't happen and the things that we don't need to address, then we don't obviously address them. And so, um, unfortunate. Um, but just, just part of it, the part of the process. So just, um, you know, handle our things and, and then go on and try to, to try to handle the next day the best we can. All right. Well, we didn't really get too much from there, obviously, but um, this is now let's be clear. The bat, a whole bat certification process. And we've been over this before on the show has been an issue throughout college baseball. Uh, I think last year was Tennessee, had an issue uh, in the game out with the dead bats. Yeah, yeah, and and by the way, scoring is scoring and, and power hitting has been up in college baseball of late. But um, you know, I think if you look at this, like it kind of doesn't look good when you have like it, Drew. When you have like an, an internal investigation into this, into in, into an accusation, plus you know a rough losing streak. You know, third. Well, now they've won. They've won uh, what twelve of their last fourteen, or lost twelve of their last fourteen. But what's going on? How worried should we be right now, Drew? Do you think? Well, uh, based on on the the scuttle that we've heard, which is bits and pieces, uh, UCF has not fully come out with anything formal yet. They're they're bound to at some point. Uh, they're just there's too much smoke going on. Uh, you, you look at, at the Dartmouth series, that was really the kind of breaking point, the before and the after. And, and you see a major shift. And I think a lot of that has to do mentally. Uh, you know, you know, with this stuff came out and, and you had a player who was on the team when the season started, is no longer on the team. Uh, he was kind of disgruntled. Uh, that weighed on the players mentally. And if you're not mentally 100% there, your, your play is going to be affected. And, and I think that's part of what's happened. And I think it's actually the player's best interest and maybe even the, the, the program in general to, to get the information out there. Uh, and the only reason why is take a little bit of weight off the player's uh, shoulders. Cause 
you know, most of these guys probably had nothing to do with any of this stuff. It was probably, it was probably very isolated. Uh, but, you know, this is something that we're seeing a lot of teams dealing with because of we're kind of in almost a dead bad era in, in college baseball. So, you know, I always joke, you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Um, and if you're only, it's only cheating. It seems like a very baseball thing. It's a very baseball thing. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the concept of the idea of bats being altered is not new in baseball. In fact, it's probably more common than you think. The difference is UCF had a disgruntled former player squeal. Most parents aren't going to have a player squeal about it. Uh, but in the in the case of, I don't want to say mental health, uh, but in, in the mental well-being of the players, it's probably better to just get this stuff out in the open. Uh but especially in pitching, if you're mentally not 100% there, man, they're, they're going to walk all over you. So I, I think that's where it comes down to. Is a lot, it's more in the head than anywhere else now. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts right now because, again, this is a former player, okay, who's not on the team anymore. So he make started, of that. But he was on the team earlier this year. Yeah, but make of that, make of that what you will, right? It, it's something that I think, you know, like we said, like we know baseball – Sometimes issues like this can be blown way further out of proportion than actually is. But I'm not saying it looks good. It doesn't. But I'm just saying it's like funny business with bats. I mean, obviously, if there's, you know, if there's an issue, somebody's out. Like, you know, in the course of a game, if they discover an an improper bat or whatever. Bryson, I want to get you in because you wanted to you wanted to respond to something that Drew said, right? Yes. So you mentioned how, you know, how UCF needs to get need to get something out there. But let's put it this way. The way that this came out does not make UCF look good, because even though obviously you see, like you said, it's a systemic thing happening throughout college baseball. It's still something where it's like everyone is sort of like kind of knows they're doing it, but they don't but they don't say it because otherwise it's going to make them look bad. And unfortunately, not only has the UCF been on that losing streak, but now you have this clip now of lovely sort of tap dancing around allegations that ended up being that uh, allegations that, and now people are like, wait, are you breaking? Like, are you like being shifty? And people, you know, don't trust that. And, and when you're losing, you want to point fingers. And when you point fingers, you point fingers at like, Hey, you're there being, he's being shifty. Why is he being shifty? So yeah, you, you kind of mentioned it, like who's been squawking on social media the most USF people, ECU people and Clemson people. Clemson fans, what heard about the, about the sweep UCF and ECU, uh, USF and ECU enough said that they, 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 you know, UCF and them have always been at odds. Need, yeah. Need we, <laughs> need we say more. Uh, need right. we say more. Yeah. Uh, in the case of ECU, they're actually really good. Um, so they're, they are, they're, 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 they're they're number twelve. They're top they're 10. a top ranked team. Uh, they're they're really good. But yeah, but there's no love loss there. Okay, no, let's not just be clear. Not in the slightest bit. Well, you know what the most what the most effective way of saving a situation like this is win. And they have three games against Memphis coming up uh, right now. UCF is one in five in conference, uh, all alone at the bottom. Not a great start, but like we said, stopped the bleeding on Tuesday, and now they have the only team the, the team that's directly ahead of them at two and four in the conference in the Memphis Tigers. At home, Memphis is eighteen and sixteen. Um, I gotta and, disagree and, with you, though. 
Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Normally winning cures all, but when you're talking about something that's damaging the integrity of the game, winning does not cure it until you explain it. I did that. Well, I mean, you have to clear the air and say, oh, this was, you know, this issue was taken care of after the Dartmouth series or whatever. Uh, but you have to clear the air. Just winning the game is when the, when the integrity is in question will not solve the problem. All right, but here's here's the thing though too, too Drew is you know all we have right now is an accusation from a former player. No UCF players have even been described have even been called out for using an illegal bat in any no, game this because season. Because of the Love Lady interview and how his nonverbal responses kind of played in that uh, you're playing the body language no, no. doctor here. Well, that, that's the thing. I, it, there was a, there's smoke there. You have to address the smoke. And because you know illegal bats is an is an integrity of the game issue because it alters the game itself. Uh, it's not like you know um, someone you know wasn't going to class when they should have been and, and forged some attendance documents that we've seen back you know 20 years ago. Uh, that's you had, to, all- you had to rip open that scab. Didn't Absolutely, you? Uh, it's it's the 20 year anniversary. Uh- <laughs> My sense of it was he was trying to, you know, talk, I mean, and he was talking to Trace, and Trace has been, you know, talking to Greg as he's been here, right, along with us. And he was trying to be, and Greg likes to be forthcoming, but all of a sudden he has to be not forthcoming. <laughs> and it's hard to to kind of talk around a you know an an internal investigation um without you know while being transparent but also not but also opaque at the same time so but he I, mean, said I, I, I think i mean i think he deserves the benefit of the doubt here oh, yeah. um well, now what what it does do i think is there may be some some rather powerful microscopes on ucf this coming weekend in this conference series since this has all gone down so and remember unless we forget the last bat controversy associated with UCF was against Memphis last year in Tennessee. So funny how everything comes full circle like that. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. All I know is that we got Friday, Saturday, Sunday against uh, against the Tigers. And Bryce, you said Cam Leiter had a great start uh, against Stetson on Tuesday night. Yeah. Um, I mean, hopefully that's a turnaround for him yeah. because while he's been what because while the freshman has been a talent this season, getting plenty of strikeouts, he's he's always been having a little bit of issues with his command. And but last night he only allowed the, the one walk and struck out seven batters, made it six innings. So um obviously it sets him, but I think this could provide a good oh, could this could potentially provide a good flip of the switch for him because he was originally in the starting rotation, but because of like, of, you know, the command stuff, he was put in the bullpen now and now he's starting midweeks. So this, this could be a very good step in his development and could be a very good contribution for the pitching staff moving forward. Well, and this kind of goes back to what I was saying that perhaps, uh, you know, the mental aspect could be playing a role. You know, Cam Leiter is young, Uh, you know, has he handled something like this before? Probably not. Uh, you know, that could have an effect on, on especially younger players, you know, throughout the, that, you know, that winning drought in the season. Uh, but to, just to put it to Bona, I do want to highlight two real quick things um, on, on the whole love lady thing. He did mention there was an internal investigation. He did mention that, that there were actions taken. Mm-hmm. Um, that he did and they kept put, it in house, which, you know, I mean, he doesn't, and he, and he's protecting his, 
player in that respect. That's which, his job. Which a, which a coach should do. Right. That's his job. Um, you don't have to name names, but the fact that he put that out there uh, shows that that you know, UCF's going to eventually have to say something. Uh, but I mean, we know the truth that that something happened, actions were done, but there's still questions to be answered. Yeah. Well. Maybe yeah. we'll get a few of them answered this uh, this coming weekend against Memphis. But this becomes a pretty yeah, – so, some interesting subtext to the series uh, coming up. All right. We got to talk about softball. Elo, unfortunately, is not here this week in order to uh, in order to give us updates, but we can do that. Obviously, no weekend series for UCF softball because this is that, that sort of bye week that they had. Um, but on Wednesday, UCF beat Florida Gulf Coast 7-2 to in Fort Myers and then came back home and run-ruled FIU on Tuesday, April the 11th, 9-1 uh, to in uh, five innings. And uh, just a quick little peek, uh, Rice and Turner, at the uh, RPI. I wanted to see where uh, – well, I mean, we talked about how you know UCF has kind of been – moving trying to move up that rpi you know and their schedule has actually helped them maintain a pretty good spot right now they're at 34th and that's with a uh, series at tulsa coming up this weekend now tulsa as eric has often said to us is a notoriously difficult place to play the wind is always a problem out there um you know, and and just weird stuff happens. Eric likes to call that place a bandbox. I don't know where that I don't know where that term comes from, but okay, we'll go with it. Um, but UCF softball, at least at the moment, right now, twenty five and 18, four and two, uh, in the league. And you know, this is another chance to kind of kind of put another dent in uh, or, uh, in your uh, in Wichita State's lead in the conference because UCF right now is in fourth place. But again, they've only played six games in conference so far. Uh, Wichita State um, has played nine, uh, and they're at thirty-four and seven. By the way, uh, South Florida, by the way, six and three. They're in third. Houston's in second at five and one. So the schedule obviously hasn't evened out yet, Bryson. But what's the outlook right now for UCF? Because Tulsa sixteen to twenty-one, two and four. If you're able to, you know, playing out there is tough. But if you can take three uh in the uh on the road like those are three huge cards to have in your hand regardless of how good Tulsa is that's still a tough place to play oh for sure I I think the the big the big thing that can help here is that that FGCU game is a major indication I think of of where this team is right now because they went and beat them seven to two FGCU from what I have them right now they're ranked 41 in the RPI so they are one of so they are a Top, they're definitely up there among the the better softball teams out there. FIU is further down the list, but they took care of business against them with Shannon Doherty getting that mm-hmm. beauty of a home run right after she got that order of Pegasus. So, uh, I, but I think this 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 bye week really allows the team to get some, to turn the page now on a first half of the season that really saw them kind of figuring themselves out mainly from a pitching perspective now that we've you know grace jewel for instance in that fgcu game went 5.2 innings four hits only allowed the one run so i think we we see we see a pitching staff that is much more well seasoned much more experienced and 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 thus they can take that with them to this the the of conference play and be able to learn from the mistakes they made before so they won't make them again so grace jewel and i think grace jewel and sarah willis now are at a point 
where they are where they are much more capable than they were, and now they can use that to uh, use that to take them through conference play going forward. And it's all really about just kind of cr uh, grinding their way back to the top to talk to more than likely take on Wichita State again. The fact yeah. you played Wichita, I think honestly, what the, it was a a bad luck of the draw that UCF got stuck with Wichita State to start conference play to <laughs> to begin with because they the, when you start conference play with basically your main rival for the conference title let's face it is you know not exactly the best place to be because you could you ha you could have players that are still trying to to get kind of get into their groove as we saw so the, now that so really now it's just about a comeback game for this yeah. one for, for this one so i think they're in a good position to do that so we'll see how it how it ends up going but i think the momentum is positive especially after these last two games against fgcu and fiu by the way wichita state uh last week knocked off number two oklahoma state eight to seven i mean that's a huge win for their rpi they're obviously the top aac team in the rpi at 24 one spot behind florida ucf interestingly Fourth in the conference in the standings, win-loss standings. Second in the conference in RPI, 10 spots behind Wichita. So that strong schedule early in the year, like you said, Bryson, is kind of helping UCF stay right there uh, as they move forward. So, um, again, but, you know, Tulsa's ranked, you know, I think 124th is from what I, what I saw in the most recent rankings. So, you got to handle them. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be. Uh, otherwise, you might be in a little bit of trouble. Uh, margin for error. Margin for error is thin. Yeah, it let's is. It, it is, and especially when you got South Florida coming in next weekend at home as well. So you want to be able to, you know, pull that. You know, if they can, if UCF can get to, let's see, if they sweep Tulsa, let's say they pull that off, they would be seven and two, which would put them effectively one game back of Wichita State in the standings through nine. Now, Wichita State obviously has the advantage of having three games in hand on UCF right now, or I should say one game in hand head-to-head, -head, but uh, because they beat UCF two out of three. But this is going to be a race down to the end. So you got to, you know, you're a little there. the Knights are a little bit behind, but it's not a devastating situation. All right. Um, we got to take a break. When we come back, Drew – We'll stick with us, and Kyle will be here. We're going to preview the UCF football spring game. What are we going to see? I mean, it's a spring game, but Friday night, okay, under the lights, it's Knights versus Knots. It's also cool. Drew is going to talk about the uniforms and the helmets, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. You're going to get a little preview of that, especially the helmet. I actually like the helmets. But that's where we'll leave it right now. Drew, the professional, actually handled all that stuff. And uh, a little bit later, Nick Porcelli will join me and Bryson as well to talk about uh, some other goings on at UCF. Stick around. The Night Shift podcast will be back in just a moment. All right. Let's uh, welcome back to the Night Shift podcast. Uh, Jeff here along with Kyle and Drew. I almost slipped at that time, Drew. I almost did. You said I would, and I almost did, but I, I saved it at the very last minute. Um, uh, we're here to talk a little football now, and uh, UCF's spring football game is upon us. Friday night, 7.30 uh, Eastern time at FBC Mortgage Stadium. A little branding happening up in here. It will officially be the Knights versus the Citronauts. Um, 
Parking opens early that day. Uh, the gates open at 6 for the Raw Tower, 6.30 for everywhere else. Um, it's a nice little a nice little diversion on a Friday night, right? Nice little night out. You know, we'll, we'll, it will take the edge off. Uh, I love having this game in the evening. Um, you know, it's it's been the stuff of legends. Uh, how much uh, many of us have been air fried on uh, on, on Saturday afternoons <laughs> at the stadium. Um, you know, uh, for spring football games, you know, with, the, with, with it being hot out and all that. So I, I love doing this under the lights. I love the Knights versus Knots thing. I think that's pretty cool. But there's some on-field stuff that we have to actually um, discuss in the meantime. So Kyle and Drew. And Kyle, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of a rhetorical question sometimes, I guess. But whatever. We'll ask it anyway. What are you looking to see from this, from the team in this, in a spring game like this? Given... New offensive coordinator, um, John Rice Plumley pulling double time between baseball and football, still right. managing to pull that off as far as we know. Um, other quarterbacks who might be in the mix as well, since, you know, obviously this is his last year of eligibility in Plumley. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you want to see? So, I mean, first of all, this is the point since uh, Elo isn't currently here at the moment. Oh, John Rice Plumley will never make it on time. He's not going to play, whatever. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was an accurate impersonation that was wow. you, know. you sound just like him <laughs> well with, with carry that, on with, with that in mind the reason why i lead with that um was not just to make light of our good friend eric lopez but rather to um to explain even if he's not i think that's a good thing and it's giving us us the fans or the analysts or whatever you want that thing you can actually get out of the spring game yeah i know i know spring game doesn't matter blah 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 however what we did ascertain from last year's spring game that held true throughout the season and was 100% accurate, or one of the things I should say, is Thomas Castellanos. What we're going to most be looking for, gentlemen, is does he still look like, can he handle bright lights without being forced to stare like a deer, right? That's what we're trying to see. Has, has he gotten used to speed? Is he up to speed? Is he confident? Is, 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 he, uh, is he more than just a freshman, you know, trying to break in to the new program that's kind of the biggest thing i want to see there and listen call me biased but um i also want to see how this new offensive line gels you know locahe paoli is still there he's still he's still he's the new veteran the statesman of the group it's not every day that you know you see a six-year guy walk out the door you know um and see but i want to see how that group is gelling together there's just a bunch of transfers to rebuild the line and rightly so because they're trying to upgrade to air quotes power five caliber and as much as people want to tell you that it's not all size with the O-line, um, that technique is important too, which is absolutely true. But nonetheless, they needed to upgrade in size and various other things, and it'll be interesting to see, see those groups. Will we see another spring game where they're giving up double-digit sacks like last year? So, um, you know, the, the, a lot of those little things are what I'm going to be looking for. Let's see how much the defense is gelling with all the changes that have happened there. There's basically only a couple statesmen, once again, um, there due to guys transferring, um, you know, so that's really, those are really kind of high level the things I'll be looking at. Drew, they're not going to like put, you know, a lot of stuff on tape here. I mean, for fairly obvious reasons. Um, what about you? What do you want to see here? Well, uh, I, I'm with Kyle. I want to see how this offensive line gels. This was a much maligned group last year and, and you have some carryovers like uh, Apollo Lake, 
Uh, you, um, you had Tylen Grable, who transferred last year, and he struggled a bit. Uh, see if another year kind of helps him out. And then you have Edward Collins, who feels like he's been here forever. Yeah. Uh, he He's one of the elder statesmen on this team now. It's probably going to uh, play a very heavy role. Uh, I know a lot of people are calling for Paul Rubelt to finally break in. I know he was in the second unit last year. Well, he also played a little bit of tight end on, on and goal line situations too last year. Yeah, you know, well, I mean, he's still big. He's you know six foot ten. I mean, if he if he's got the hands, that's a really good target. That's a large there. human. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm really interested to see how how this group kind of adapts. You know, losing Matt Lee to the transfer portal last year really hurt. Yes, uh, that mm-hmm. that that's a really big shot right there. So uh, center is definitely something of, of interest. I know, uh, um, you know, Paulule. Uh, you know, has been has been working working there because you know as we know the center is the leader of the offensive line and he's a leader. So mm-hmm. if you don't have someone else who can who can fill that role, he's going to have to slide over, which I think will help him uh, as far as versatility when he looks to to go to the next level next uh, next year. Right. Uh, the other area I, I want to see is is actually special teams. Uh, you know, we have a new long snapper. You know, uh, Alex Ford's been you know been a staple for years. Good point, Drew. Uh, uh, I want to see how, how this this new group adapts because someone's going to have to step in and people, oh, well, who cares about the long snapper? Well, I was a long snapper. Shut up. You'll care if, if McCormick has trouble kicking, right? You know, you'll care if something gets fumbled uh, yeah. uh, on the punt there, you know. A good snap is the difference between a bad hold and and a good hold. You know, yeah. uh, if if you don't get in the right place, things happen. And you know, no one cares about long snappers until you do. Exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> so uh, special teams is definitely a thing. Obviously, uh, you know, we saw that uh, Colt Boomer was was early in spring practice was in a boot. I want to see how some of these other guys uh, fit in as far as uh, being able to to uh, cause some some uh, competition. Uh, I think special teams is, is vastly underrated. And, and, and the last area I, I want to see is, and you know, he talked about uh, Thomas Castellanos. I want to see Timmy McClain. Yeah. Uh, definitely. You know, mm-hmm. you got the Southpaw, you know, coming in there, you know, changing things up. But remember, he's got experience uh, from his time at USF and he's been working with the scout team all year since transferring mm-hmm. over. He missed the window. So he redshirt. He's a redshirt sophomore. So he's got a lot of time too, just like uh, Castellanos does. So I want to see how he does as well, because you're going to see some stiff competition for that quarterback spot. Oh, and let's not even pretend they have no, I doubt they have any illusions that they're going to be the starter, Drew. But you and I both know healthy John Rice Plumley is a thing that, that UCF fans can be confident in. Healthy John Rice Plumley, though, I don't know lasts an entire season in a Power 5 world. Ergo, these guys, super important, right? Uh, for the NFL comp, think, you know, uh, Lamar Demetrius Jackson and Ty Huntley or uh, Michael Vick and Matt Schaub. Like, you're, that backup spot is going to be essential if you want the Knights to make it to a bowl game this year. Absolutely. And they got, it's, they got work to do. You know, mm-hmm. that defensive backfield, they have work to do. Uh, it's good to see some some players like Jarvis Ware back for another year. He, I, he you know, missed a couple seasons ago. Uh, you're you're seeing the uh, the Henderson brothers uh, who who started to show some things in at the end of last season when they had to slide in during the bowl game. Uh, they they you know now it's their time. So you're gonna see some of these youngsters step up along with some of these older guys like 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 
like Jarvis Ware. And I, I'm really interested to see how, how they gel. Uh, uh, Nikai Martinez, you know, he's got to play that flex spot uh, that uh, Hodges played last season before he got in some uh, hot water. Yeah. Uh, yeah and, and let go from the team. So he, even though he's played it, he's never been the guy. And that's probably the hardest spot in the defensive backfield is that, that night flex position between linebacker and defensive back. That's probably the last guy I'm really interested in seeing how he adapts to it. And who's the guy they're going to bring behind him? Who, let me ask you about the, the new coordinator setup here. You know, obviously this is going to be Darren Hinshaw's first live action as, you know, obviously offensive coordinator, although co-offensive coordinator with Herb Hand, to be fair. Right. Uh, same thing with Addison Williams. Um, and alongside him is going to be David Gibbs. Um are we going to be able to glean anything from those guys in this setting? I wouldn't I, say so, uh, per se. Um, maybe some some tendencies with, you know, maybe using a, a particular guy or a particular formation more than somebody else might have. But uh, you're, if you're looking for, oh, this is totally uh, – Oh, look at the run-pass ratio. is totally uh, different uh, now. I you think know. technique is going to be where you see it. Look at their technique. Uh, their footwork. I think that's where you'll see their their effect. Okay, that's okay. interesting. Yeah. Um, skill positions. No Bowser, but we have R.J. Harvey coming back. Um, Listen, running back rooms are a tradition here at UCF, man, and they still got a good one. If you're going to be concerned about anything on the offense, it's the B, right? Oh yeah, totally. Well, um, this you're talking to a guy who's offense. concerned about literally everything on a daily yeah, basis. They're off. That's those offenses. <laughs> Stacked, absolutely stacked. Uh, that's the one area you shouldn't have to worry about is the offensive skill position. I mean, wide receiver, stacked. Running back, stacked. Tight I was going to ask how you top. felt about the receiver court actually, Drew. Yeah. Like, like, take me through that a little bit. Okay, well, let's let's take it back. So, obviously, you have the two holdovers, uh, Javon Baker, Kobe Hudson, your number one, number two. Uh, obviously, numbered, number one, number two. Now you have number three, literally. Uh, Xavier Townsend, who had a, a, a pretty good freshman year. I mean, he, he's... He showed a lot of flashes of stuff that they used Ryan O'Keefe for. Um, a lot of speed, uh, was learning, kind of learning uh, more field awareness during his freshman year. Well, now it's his sophomore year. Uh, Baker and Hudson, both seniors. So obviously, uh, this will be their, their grand finale. Coming back, Amari Johnson, this last year because of injury, yeah. he's back. That's right. Uh, uh, not to be forgotten, uh, you have uh, Trent Whitmore, who, uh, aside from being a legacy to the program has looked pretty good in, in some of the uh, video clips that we've seen uh, from spring practice, as you know, uh, not much gets out as far as uh, video of what's going on. So, you know, you kind of take what you can get, uh, but uh, he's the transfer from Florida. Uh, I, I think he, he's going to be a, a, a serviceable guy. And then you got, you know, seems like, like Jalen Griffin, who's come in kind of in the second unit and, and has been able to make plays on, on occasion. Uh, you know, this is a this is a good wide receiver group um, from the st from the probably the one point five unit level. Uh, I'm I need to see what the next guys can do. You know, Deontay Marks, we've seen him here and there, uh, but never really breaking through. Uh, Quan Lee, redshirt freshman now, uh, really interested to see what he can do now that he's not going to be uh, held on the bench. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited about this group. They're talented. Well, and you're talking about special teams. Who would be the returning kicks, Drew, you think? 
Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, you still got you got you got Johnny Richardson who who's who's done it before. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I I would look at him as is probably your best bet because you know having a small guy with wheels is is actually a good thing because you can you can squeeze through some some small areas. Uh, so Townsend, I, I think, also is going to be in the mix for that. Too. I would be my bet. Yeah. I would put Townsend on the punt returns, um, which is what he he did do right. last year. So yeah. I, you know, obviously you don't want to, you, you want to split it out a little bit, just, uh, you know, you don't overwork anyone, but uh, I, I like Townsend on the punt returns. Uh, and I think as he continues to build field awareness, he'll get even better. Richardson's just a burner and that, and you want that guy who has that straight North to South speed that, you know, you get a running start, watch out uh, if you get that block, but look who's, you know, that running back group, you know, if he, if he returns kicks and he's got to set out a couple plays, Oh no, Demarcus Bowman gets to come in. Oh, the horror. Uh, this is a really good running back. Uh, you got RJ Harvey, who is a, an absolute freak. Uh, Demarcus Bowman is a five-star transfer. You know, uh, Jordan McDonald is is an absolute truck. I think he's gonna play the Isaiah Bowser role. You know, 6'1, 220. I mean, he's he's a tank. Uh, you know, this is this is a really good running back group. It's not a huge group. Doesn't the running backs uh Group only has like six guys on on the roster right now. It's not big, only but, six. But they are big in size. I mean, these guys can hit, and, and yeah, uh, I have every confidence that th- this this crew is going to do a lot of damage. Okay, all right. Seven thirty start uh, for the, for the game. It's if I had to guess based on previous experience, it's probably going to go about two hours. You get to the second half, probably have a running clock. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see some, I think the coaches and the players will pull out a few wrinkles out there to get the crowd going a little bit here. Um, let me ask you guys this, what kind of crowd do you, uh, do you, do you think we might see for this? I'll start with you, Kyle. Oh God. I really, you know, I really don't know what to make of it, honestly, because it's so different from what it's been in the past. Granted, it's not been trying to, to put a game on Thursday like they did up in Gainesville there, but, um, it's nothing quite that obnoxious, but, uh, I'll say this. <laughs> Um, there's something to be said. I, I said it. Thursday night spring games are obnoxious, Florida. Get right. Anyways. They so don't Friday. care. I know they don't. I know they don't. <laughs> but, um, no, but uh, the, the long and the short is, I mean, to your point, the the spring game is, is, is like an escapade, but yet it's only for the real diehards that really go. But that being said, many times – Coach Malzahn has said that this is meant to be a fan-friendly event. They're going to be even more fan-friendly. I'm yeah. wondering what the air quotes gimmick's going to be for this one, right? Remember uh, when he first came in, that was the Twitter handle on the on the, on the the nameplate. Next year they did the uh, the RC code or, you know. QR code. QR, QR code. code. Thank you. I always get that wrong. Yeah, they did the QR <laughs> code on the back. Um, see, I knew you'd correct me if I said that, so we're perfect. I remember it well, but anyway, carry on. Anyway, yeah, the QR code was, you know, uh, was was the gimmick for that. Um, so, you know, what it's going to be for this year, I have no idea. Um, not. Well, that's on the helmet already, <laughs> so, you know. But yeah. uh, Well, they did reveal that the helmet's true. Uh, that has the, the Citronaut for the, for the Citronauts team. There's a Citronaut script on one side. There's the, there's the little Citronaut. Face. What's that guy called? They call him Squeezer, which no, is that really no. his name? 
I mean, that's something like the little, dumb, like the little face. Of, that sounds like something you hear out of Syracuse. The little guy. No, that's Otto. <laughs> but uh, um, one of these days we will have an Otto versus for, for the record. For the record, down at some point. You know, but you went to there. You went to Syracuse for your masters. Hence the the little dig. <laughs> I'm fine with it. I listen. I I embrace the I embrace the the kookiness of it. I mean, what can I say? But uh, thoughts on the on the Citronaut helmet, Drew? Uh, well, I am not a fan of having different things on different on each side. I'm not a fan of that. I don't like it with the script knights. I know it's a baseball logo and it is not level. But you know what? It's a baseball logo. <laughs> you know, that's normal for baseball logos to not be level. But you know what? Make it work because it it, it doesn't work for me. I, I want to see I want to see the squeezer head on both sides. That's what I want to see. Uh, you know, fair. You, know, you always you always put block UCF on both sides. Uh, you know, do do both. You know, if, if you you have the the night head on one side, you know, put the night head on the other side. I I just I I think it's it, to me it looks cheap. It's like, oh, I didn't want to buy a second set of decals. I'm going to recycle some UCF ones that I already had. Or in this case, I'm just going to throw Citronauts on the side. I know it's a spring game, so it doesn't matter as much. Uh, but I, I've never been a fan of having different logos or, or in the case of the Pittsburgh Steelers, only one. Uh, I want to see symmetry. Uh, that's what it's about. It's about symmetry. Our uniforms outside of the helmet are symmetrical. Keep the symmetry alive. But, but – I have to question about this whole fan friendly thing. If it was truly fan friendly, it wouldn't be on a Friday. You know, there's you know, the guy who's down in uh, Bradenton and can't. Uh, up, no, up, but up, seriously, up. I, I actually was talking to a couple people, and they're like, you know, have they ever done it on, you know, not on a Saturday before? This is actually the first spring game, not on a Saturday. I would love to have seen a Saturday evening spring game. That would have been the best uh, move for for you know bringing people in. I, there's plenty of, as we know, uh, what Broward County has, what the third highest amount of UCF uh, alum outside of Orange and Seminole. Guess what? They're three hours away, so you know they'd have to leave work early just to make the game. Like I can't make the game. Uh, Kyle's going to be there uh, covering. You know, obviously, Jeff is the uh, the voice of, of of the bounce house. Uh, but yeah, I can't make it there. And the and the best part of all is. There's no stream, so those, those poor people who can't go can't even watch the game. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned the stream because like that's been like an ongoing debate for, oh, for years. years, years, years. Nothing new. Let uh, yeah, so, so, I know that you would like to see it streamed so that other people can so, so that I know why fans they can don't. see it, but but right, but there is a good reason why they don't. Number one, you want to get people in the stadium first right and number and two yeah you don't want you don't want anyone getting getting some some snips out of that right but then again all you guys talk about is oh well, they're just running vanilla playbooks they're not gonna run anything so who well, gives a plays out of the playbook, that's the other side of the debate. because even the vanilla stuff is designed to work there, there is a <laughs> you know? ground here though where as we're seeing with the yard sale on saturday being run by the kingdom there's an opportunity here that you can actually uh, create an option for like ambassador members of, of the kingdom, which is a certain level of, of, of member of the NIL collective 
to be able to receive a stream within their 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 um, internal social media network, which they do have. Uh, there's opportunity there. Uh, obviously, the kingdom's still very new. Maybe that's something to build towards the future. Uh, but I, I see opportunity there where you can find a way where you can huh. give fans what they want, the ones who can't be there, but still have a degree of protection against uh, putting your playbook out in the open. It's Night fans need love too, but they got to pay. <laughs> and they do pay. Um, I'm, I'm interested. Well, let me go back to my original question. Give me an attendance number, Kyle. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with 3,000. What do you think, Kyle? I would have said, said five. Wait, did you say 3,000? That, that usually it's not a huge number. Like, well, no, like, I know, but like 3,000? Why not? <laughs> I, I was uh, thinking. It, I was thinking ten. Yeah, oh like, no no no! I don't. Even, I don't I, even I think Scott Frost got ten in his first spring game. Yeah. Well, uh, no, it's not going to be that much. Uh, it's just going to be you know, the hardcore fans who hang out. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be nearly as much, especially because it's on a Friday night and those out of towners won't make the drive. Or, right. Just think, well, many of the out of towners can't make the drive. It's well. Not, it, you keep focusing on the out-of-towners, Drew. They aren't. I think they're trying to get students in the building, right? So Yeah, that's the other thing. Well, I mean, Friday night, Saturday night, either way, students are going to go party. <laughs> well, right, but at least on Friday night, if they got classes, you know, that it's just a, a, a jaunt over is, is the punchline. And, and listen, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I believe that's the thought process, right? So, and, and for me, like, I, I, I don't know that I got 10. But I would say if I were going to put a range on it, it would be five to ten. Three is a touch pessimistic. I'll take the three to five range. You can take the five to ten range. Okay. Okay. You're such a pessimist, Drew. Gosh, have a little. Yeah, I'm so negative. For once in your life, God. Find some bacon. Lighten up, Jesus. Yeah, oh, right. Bacon. <laughs> hey, hey uh, in fairness, it is Passover. I can't eat real food. Um, for another couple days, so it's, this is always a hell week for me. Oh, oh, so no wonder he's betting the numbers so low. He's cranky. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, no wonder. Yeah, I at least can like, eat French fries. I can do right, that. Let's, let's let's get him out of here because you know it's not it's not going so good for Drew over here. Thoughts and prayers to Drew. I need a cheeseburger. I want uh, a cheeseburger. <laughs> I can't eat it. All right, we're going to get out of here before we get canceled once again. Um, the uh, uh, When we return, we'll talk uh, softball and catch you up on some of the other sports that are going on around. And a little um, UCF versus USF – versus excuse me, UCF versus UCF matchup in the XFL over this past weekend, which we will recap for you as well. This is the Night Shift Podcast. Stick around. We're back in a flash. <laughs> We're back on the show. Jeff, Bryson, and Nick now joining you to uh, wrap up the week in uh, UCF sports. So uh, we talked about, obviously, baseball and softball earlier in the show. I wanted to jump over to tennis real quick here, uh, Bryson. Women's tennis at 8 and 9, and they've been kind of uh, – they were struggling there for a little bit, but uh, righted the ship in Daytona against Bethune – on Friday, and they have two matches left in the regular season against South Florida and SMU. What is the state of play right now for women's tennis? Because they're six and four at home this year, and these last two matches are at home. You know, they could get themselves back, 
you know, above 500 at 10 and nine, if they win these last two, and those are against ranked opponents. And then I think that gives you a nice little springboard heading into the American championships, which they are hosting on April 19th through the 23rd. Well, women's tennis has kind of been going through a rough patch in the, in the last couple of weeks. They've had Marie Mattel and Stephanie Webb uh, exit matches because of retirement, which could potentially mean injury. We don't know that's unconfirmed, but they also, but they, uh, they did not, not retiring as in like quitting the sport, like just retired right. as in like they, they couldn't play anymore in that exactly. particular game. Right. Right. Sorry. That's a, te- that's tennis terminology meaning right. for you there. For those um, who are not, for those who are not ten- tennis Knicks night, like, uh, uh, like, like Eric is. So they originally had a matchup scheduled with Tulane, but that was canceled because there was quote, not enough student athletes for that. So they they made they created that matchup with Bethune Cookman that happened, but because of limited student athletes there, it was only four singles matches that got played. Normally, you play three doubles matches and six singles matches. So right. the four zero is four singles matches. Marie Mattel did play that, so she got to play there, but Stephanie Webb did not. So that's going to be something to. Keep it keep an eye on as they go to play South Florida and SMU. The ITA the ITA rankings for them also came out this morning, and the team is currently coming in at number thirty nine. So the, the, and they will be play and, and over this weekend they'll be playing number forty seven SMU and number fifty nine USF. So while I think injuries could potentially have just kind of played a role and thrown them off a little bit, especially with the road trip they had against ranked teams like Georgia tech and Clemson get, I think having this last matchup to get yourself ready for an AAC championship that's at home, by the way, which really helps you is definitely going to be very key in kind of determining uh, what expectations we could see from this women's, from this women's tennis team. But if they're, but they're going to need a rebound and they're going to need to do it quick. So you think they need to play themselves into the NCAA tournament. That's what you're thinking right now. Well, they've had, I think they do have a solid, I think they do have an okay resume, but because they've had, they just played a very tough schedule. So I think playing themselves in would certainly help them because I wouldn't want to like leave it up to chance basically. But I, but I would, but they managed to play themselves in last year pretty well. Maybe the schedule, certainly their schedule is helping them because even though they're below 500, they're in the top 40. Mm -hmm. So I think I think winning the just winning these games against USF and SMU will help them, and then winning the AAC championship would certainly be very good, especially since it's at home. I would I think striking while the iron is hot there would be very would be the most preferable action. Well, I, I mean, I think you're right. Like you don't you never want to leave that kind of stuff to chance. Obviously, I mean, if you're you know if you're the coaching staff, certainly you want to be like, okay, let's you know let's see if we can win this thing, and then we don't. And then we're not worried about any of that stuff. Uh, I want to ask about the men's team too, because they're also below 500, but they have a little bit more, they have a, a, a tougher, a, a tougher path ahead of them right now. They're 49th in the ITAs. Now um, they have two matches left as well against UAB in uh, Alabama on Wednesday, the 12th. Um, and they're home for Tulsa also to finish out the season. Tulsa's ranked number 59 in the country on Sunday. Now, they're coming off of two consecutive wins this week in conference play uh, at home against Tulane. 
Tulane's ranked 43 and they beat them four nothing. And then they went to Tampa and beat number 53 South Florida four to three. And that was a, I thought that was a huge win for them. Like they, they it really needed to, they really needed those two. Um, you know, we thought Bryson that you know the, those three ranked matches in a row that they had at Memphis, home for Tulane at South Florida, they really needed to to get something going in those three and with those last two wins, I think they did. Now they obviously they lost to Memphis nine days ago um, in Tennessee, but you know, to beat Tulane in South Florida, I think that was a big boost for them. So now with two, what about them with two matches left to go in the regular season, their conference tournament is coming up again, hosting 21st through the 23rd. So how do you feel about their chances now? going forward in these final two matches about if they can play themselves in, or do you think they'll have to win the tournament as well? I've said this since the beginning of the season. I did not really have high expectations for this men's tennis team. Not because I don't think they're not, they're, they're not talented. I think they are. The problem is, is that they are swapped with inexperience where most of the players we've seen, aside from Bogdan Pavel and Leighton Kranji, were freshmen, true freshmen. So these are people that really needed to learn the system as they went. And as honestly, as we've been seeing, because while they have had losses against a very tough schedule that included number four, Ohio State twice and number two, Texas. So playing against them as a true freshman, I mean, good luck to you there. But they but they but they've also have managed to pick up wins against number 39 Tulane, number 55 SMU number 60, Arkansas, and number 62, FAU. So the quality of the wins that, that, they, ha- that they have, even though, they're below, even though they're below 500 right now, are really good. And I think the fact that they have those wins are indicative of the talent that they have on that roster, especially with Yassine, with, with Yassine Gleamy. But this UAB matchup was actually just added to the schedule. Just like with women's tennis, they've added – another matchup and this one's on the road which is very intriguing to me i think and this is the why i think this is the case is because on the road this team has not been particularly good on the road this year at three and six so i think having this matchup added here gives you nice practice on the road because at home they've been doing pretty well they've been doing pretty well at home the fact and the fact again like i said with the women's tennis team the aac championships being here in orlando at the usta national campus is a, i think a very big advantage for them because they've been doing really well with that the uh, the other the other thing that i think is going to be very important keep an eye on that noon matchup on sunday april 16th with tulsa i think this is going to be a very important matchup because it's a big gauge at how this team has grown since the beginning of the dual match season because they played Tulsa for the ITA kickoff weekend back on January 29th and lost four to one. So their performance against Tulsa now at home where they've done better, I I think it's going to be indicative of one home court advantage and two, how much this team has grown since the beginning of this, of this season. Bogdan Bavel has been a great leader. This is going to be a, la- a last hurrah for him. Leighton Kranji, from what I've from what I've seen, it, I believe he has one year left. So he, so that can be good leadership going forward into the Big Twelve with this large amount of underclassmen that this team has. But through the course of this year, we've seen that this underclass that this underclassmen are talented. And so, honestly, if we see them perform just well 
at this at this AAC tournament, I am perfectly fine at the direction of this program is going, even if we don't make the NCAAs, because again, it's a team full of true freshmen. Now, if we make the NCAAs or win the AAC tournament and make the NCAAs, that would be a huge accomplishment All the better, for, John, yeah. for John Roddick in the recruiting in the recruiting perspective. All right. So as tennis heads down the stretch, we'll be keeping an eye on them. Who else are we keeping an eye on? Track and field. Now, they dropped down to 14th in the latest uh, D1 National Ratings Index. Renaya Jones uh, finished fourth in the 100-meter hurdles at their most recent event, which was the Hurricane Alumni Invitational at the University of Miami. Um, UCF track and field right now um, in the midst of the outdoor season. They will go to the Tom Jones Invitational. They didn't have that many people competing down at Miami, but that's okay. Uh, they're going to the Tom Jones Invitational at Gainesville, their second match, their second uh, event in Gainesville on the 14th and the 15th. Uh, and then after that, it's Georgia Tech, LSU, UNF, and then the American Championships uh, middle of May. So we're already, you know, one month away from the uh, postseason in um, track and field. All right. Uh, Jeff, that was Kayla Harris. That it was Kayla Harris. Okay, my bad. So Kayla uh, Harris had a thirteen point two six time, and then uh, Natalia Madison managed to uh, elevate herself to second all time in heptathlon, beating out Jamie Pugh by one point in the in the heptathlon to take silver. So got it. Good okay. call. Good call. Thank you, Bryson. Um, over to uh, football, and I want to get Nick in here because um, Nick, we had our uh, we're in the uh, we're in the spring football equinox now. Okay, the XFL season is coming down to an end. We had a matchup of two UCF players on the field. The last two guys remaining for UCF in the XFL this past weekend. And the USFL is getting ready to start this coming weekend with five UCF players on USFL rosters. I want to start in the XFL with the Orlando Guardians and the Arlington Renegades. Um, Arlington defeating Orlando by two, 18 to 16. Uh, in a matchup of Terrence, two former teammates at UCF, actually, Terrence Plummer for Orlando and Rennell Hall uh, for Arlington. Of course, you know, remember Adrian Killens was on Arlington, but he was let go. Rennell Hall, interestingly enough, now their kick returner, taking over for another former UCF night. Um, you got, and, and Hall's actually been making a few waves as a receiver as well for uh, Arlington, um, you know, a bummer for Orlando because they had that big win over DC that kept them alive for at least one more week in the playoff race, but they've been eliminated with the loss to Arlington. But how did Terrence perform? How did Rennell perform in this matchup of two UCF Knights in Orlando? Oh, you're, you're silenced, Nick. Sorry. Don't know why. Yeah, so covering uh, covering Terrence throughout the whole year, he's been very consistent. Like, if you look at his stats from every game, it's almost the same thing. He's usually one of the top guys in tackles. That's why he leads the entire team in tackles, and he's currently ninth in the league. Uh, he had six tackles, th this time three solo and three assisted. So, you know, pretty solid. And then uh, Rennell, he had... Uh, one reception for 16 yards, as well as two kickoff returns for a total of 46 yards. They, I don't know. If you look at their like stats for kick returners, the Renegades, they really they switch that position out a lot. But right. he's starting to get a little more reps. Um, this keeps him alive in the playoffs. Obviously, DC clinched the playoff spot this week with their, but that second spot is still open. If they make it, I 
wouldn't be shocked if he became their full-time guy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to see how, you know, Rennell is kind of selling because he was injured earlier in the year, right? Yeah, he was injured for – this is his fourth game, third one starting. So he was injured for the first four weeks, and he's been, you know, playing the playing the rest. You know, clearly they uh, – I think – clearly they liked him because, you know, unfortunately Jordan McRae, he was on injured reserve with the Brahmas all year, and eventually they just decided to – cut him but the fact that they kept him shows that they saw something in him and uh mm-hmm. i think he's been rewarding them for that he's you know he's not the in terms of wide receiver stats it's not the flashiest but he's making a impact and i think he could get better as the season goes on all right two more weeks to go in the xfl season and then it's championship weekend and then they have a week off and then the xfl championship game mid set for mid-may in the alamo dome in san antonio um Speaking of leagues that are hosting championships in the spring, the USFL is back for year number two. First uh, football league to have its second season other than the NFL since uh, in, in, I think it was 20 years I saw it. So the USFL is back. The Tampa Bay Bandits are not. They've been... They've been shuffled into the Memphis Showboats, which is another old USFL. That whole thing is weird. Like, they say they'll bring them back. From what I can tell, they're kind of doing, like, that weird Baltimore Raven, Cleveland Brown thing where it's like we're not counting this as part of our history, but it's like the same team, personnel, and everything. And if they bring the team back, that first season was part of it. You know, it's like that weird thing where it's like – But in reality, like, you just changed your name. That's all you did. But – you know, I mean, the, the XFL kind of did that with the Guardians, right? Like, they used to be the New York Guardians, now the Orlando yeah, Guardians. Yeah, that but, feels a little more – that feels like a little more natural because there's, like, such time – it's such a time difference between the two seasons. It was, it's like, you know, we've said this. The XFL this year is basically a third league and not a continuation of the second one, even though it really was. Mm-hmm. But this one's even weirder. Well, either way, we've got some UCF guys on USFL rosters that we're going to be keeping an eye on um, this uh, spring. Uh, the most prominent of which, Marlon Williams, who is with the, once again back with the Birmingham Stallions. They are the defending champions. Um, last year, uh, he had uh, 32 catches for 472 yards, four touchdowns. He was a key uh, – I thought he was a really key player for Birmingham, especially down the stretch. Uh, you mentioned Jordan McRae. He was also on the Stallions. He's not, but another UCF offensive lineman is. Yep. Cole Schneider, he's he's going to be making his uh, pro debut. Obviously, he got signed by the Packers after he went undrafted, but they cut him in training camp, and uh, now he's joining these teams. I I would assume he if, if he's not a starter, then he will will still see him in a lot of snaps. So I expect a lot out of him. Although, isn't it kind of ironic that? Two UCF guys are going to be coached by a former USF USF head coach. Yes, Skip Holtz. Yeah. Skip Holtz, yeah, that's right. Um, well, it worked out for Marlon last year. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's be real. I mean, he was great. A yeah. um, couple other guys uh, with the New Orleans Breakers, too. Novell Clark is back uh, yep. with New Orleans, and Miss Tatum joins him. What are your What's your outlook on those two guys? Uh, Neville had a pretty solid season with them last year. He was – injured at some point i believe i don't remember for which portion but he did miss a couple of games but he still did pretty well over overall in there so he had uh 
interception, a couple of tackles. He, if he stays healthy, I expect his stats to go up. And then for Tatum, I'm really excited. Just in terms of like story, I'm happy for him. It's kind of similar to Cole Schneider, but like with an extra chapter, he went undrafted same year, got signed by the Jaguars, got cut before training camp, but then he was drafted by the San Antonio Brahmas and then they cut him. So he's had to wait extra long to get, get a chance to make his pro debut. And you know what? I'm happy for him and I hope he does well. Yeah. And last but not least, another Man. familiar name. And this is from the Gus Malzahn era of UCF. Yep. Big Cat Bryant is making his is making his pro debut or pro return, I should say. Obviously, yeah. got got a cup of coffee in the NFL, but yeah. uh, he's trying to work his way back in. He's with the Memphis Showboats, which is the team that ostensibly replaced the Tampa Bay Bandits. Um, what are the odds on seeing Big Cat making some waves here? I would think he would, because you did mention he had a cup of coffee in the NFL. Unlike his two other teammates that we just talked about, uh, he, yes, he was cut by the Cowboys who signed him, but then he spent a good time on the Dolphins practice squad. So he does have a lot of somewhat of an NFL experience. Uh, you know, he's still like a younger guy. I did. So I just, I'd assume they use him a lot. Like they, like I, I have seen this, like I was just going through Instagram one day and I, you know, I follow him on there and he was posting, he was like one of their guys that they were using in media day specifically, like, you know, like those hype videos, they, they show where they like try to show their best players, you know, try to get the crowd ready. He was part of that. So clearly I think that they expect a lot out of him. And again, I'm rooting for him a, cause he's got the greatest name in sports. And, <laughs> and he, he was like, I remember, I remember watching him. He was one of our best players that year, you know, first team all ACC. He was a, uh, constantly put pressure on the quarterback so I, I he could have a breakout year I, I really do believe that yeah well, we've seen if, if, if anything is true from what we saw in the XFL you know these outside pass rushers I think have a real advantage you know in in, in terms of you know if, if you can just use your athleticism to get around the corner relatively inexperienced quarterbacks have a hard time getting the ball out quickly you know I mean a guy like Big Cat could cause some real havoc. The USFL this year, remember last year, one other note, uh, they played their entire season in Birmingham. Uh, this year they're, they're splitting it amongst four different venues. Uh, yes. The Michigan Panthers and Philadelphia stars will be playing in Detroit, New Jersey generals and Pittsburgh Maulers in Canton, Ohio at the home of the hall of fame, Birmingham and new Orleans will be in Birmingham. And then Memphis and Houston will be at uh, the Liberty bowl. So, uh, and that season gets underway uh this coming uh weekend april 15th fox fs1 nbc usa will be kept will be covering uh the uh usfl as they enter as usfl 2.0 enters year number two so um this will be this will be a pretty interesting uh moment here for um for the usfl to see you know what will they what will this this league look like in year number two will the product be i thought the product was pretty pretty polished um you know uh, as it got toward the end of last year i think it'll be even more so this year as we've seen with the xfl you know the i thought the on-field product really improved over the course of the season all right that's going to do it for us we got to get going here on the uh, on the night shift podcast thanks again to all of you who are listening you can follow all of our latest written content on black and gold banneret.com sb nation's home for ucf follow me individually at jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter. 
Uh, you can follow Bryson at it's Bryson Turner, Nick at Nick Porcelli two, Eric at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow Kyle at the SOTG for the student of the game. And of course, Drew at stat boy, Drew follow all of us for your latest in UCF sports. I will see you guys at the spring game on Friday night, seven 30 uh, nights versus knots. I think it's going to be fun. Take a little bit of the edge off as we head into the summer and get ready for the 2023 football season. And we are now counting down the weeks until the big transition UCF to the big 12. And we're going to have a lot of content for you coming up over the next, over the next several weeks on the site, as we get ready for the biggest move in the history of UCF athletics. So for all of us here at the night shift podcast, I am Jeff Sharon saying, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week until then enjoy the spring game.